pick the biggest high concept idea you have and make it in the lowest production values needed. So it's about the end of the world in a house. Welcome to There to Hear, an educational podcast where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and how they got from there to here. On today's show, screenwriter and consultant Ryan Dixon gives us a look into writing and consulting for the independent feature world and how it compares with being a studio writer. He also gives some really good tangible first steps for those aspiring to sell scripts in Hollywood. As this is a new podcast, we're really wanting feedback, so go to media.collabinc.org, fill out the feedback survey, and you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card. From Collab Inc., I'm Tanya Musgrave, and today I have Ryan Dixon. He's a writer-producer and the founder of Tartan Valley Ventures, an L.A.-based creative development consulting firm. As a screenwriter, Dixon has written projects for Disney, Amazon, Universal, for stars including Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Josh Gad. He recently co-wrote an executive produced Opening Night, a comedic film recently featured on Netflix. He's also worked in film and TV creative development for people such as Tom Cruise and for companies such as Paramount, MGM, and IMAX. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you for having me. We've had a couple of writers on the show, like one who worked in a writer's room in daytime, another uh, script coordinator. So what was your writer's journey like? Was it television, like features? Did you go through writer's rooms or did you go kind of more the independent like feature route or like how did you get from there to here? I tend to find that when people ask, how did you make it or how did you break in? what you find is there is no one consistent story. Everybody (laughs) (laughs) has a completely different story. So it's, it's very hard to model anyone's career off of anyone Mm -hmm. just because everyone has their own road to success. With mine, it started in college in terms of the collaborations that I still cherish today from Josh Gad to Paula Wagner all started at at Carnegie Mellon in in Pittsburgh. I grew up in West Central Pennsylvania, a very rural area. Then I ended up amazing my parents by getting into Carnegie Mellon's uh, School of Drama, where I majored in theater directing. But I I always loved film. George Romero went there. He was one of my heroes. And I I used that. You know, I met so many amazing people there. It was constant creation all the time. And and then from there, I I, I spent two more years at the grad program, Entertainment Technology Center. And then from there, it's like time to get out to LA. What do you want to do? I came out to LA and my focus at first was in screenplay development. I worked for a lot of different companies, Tom Cruise's company, where Paula Wagner was the co-headed at the time, IMAX, Paramount, as you said in the bio. And You know, at the same point, I was, you know, working on projects in L.A., directing, writing stuff, building it. But I really had thought, hey, let's focus on the development. And the day I got the call about a really big vice president position at a major production company studio was the same day an old friend from college named Josh Gad called me and, you know, we had bonded over a a movie from the 80s called Twins starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Yeah, Yeah. And he had heard about an opportunity that Universal was looking to make a sequel, Triplets adding Eddie Murphy. And we had two days to kind of come up with the pitch. We did it and and somehow we sold it. And and so my life, which had been focused on screenplay development, you know, working on that side suddenly flipped and I was a a studio screenwriter. And and during that time, I don't want to make it sound like I wasn't. I was writing stuff all the time that wasn't selling. Mm -hmm. I also had found a fairly 
solid career as an indie screenwriter. And what I mean by that, it was ghostwriting a lot of projects. People are hiring me to kind of take their ideas. So it was a lot of work that I was doing probably more for money and survival than it was uh, creative fulfillment. But sort of all that came together and suddenly... I was sort of in the world of, of a studio screenwriter where it really is surreal when you're at that level, not necessarily because of how the creative process works. I have found that the creative process when you're working with a group, whether you're in high school, college, or at the highest level, was basically the same. There's going to be the same kind of dynamics, possible yeah. conflicts, what have you. But what was really different is once you hit a certain level, suddenly you get a team. Suddenly it was like, oh, I had an agent and there is mm. attorneys and all these other people. When I look back on it, the things just mm. come right at you and it all is amazing. But it's sort of so overwhelming that you don't necessarily have time to think about what questions you should be asking or how this works. For example, I like to use in triplets what we pitched, what we loved when it sold and how, you know, we pitched it first to Ivan Reitman's company, Montecito, and then it, we, we had to pitch it to Universal. They gave the green light. We were good to go. And when we had our first meeting after we had gotten the deal at Montecito with Ivan Reitman and stuff, their first note was essentially throwing away the plot we had pitched. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't realize that. I thought it was, you know, that's odd, but that happens all the time. And so it, it's mm -hmm. sort of not even knowing, like, you get the deal what's going to happen. There's a kind of steep learning curve in that and in the way I think that what you're expected to communicate as a screenwriter on that level in terms of how you talk about story. A studio screenwriter is mm -hmm. half architect, half marketer, because mm -hmm. you're constantly trying to take in other people's ideas with your own, build it, mm -hmm. you know, like an architect, if you think about it, an, an architect can build whatever crazy building, but inside the building, there always has to be a restroom. That's kind of like screenwriting is, yeah. you know, you can have that wild time, but it, at the same point, you need conventional things. And on the marketing side, I, I think when I, I see a lot of newer screenwriters, there's mm -hmm. a sense that they treat it more like being a novelist of like, oh, this is my idea. You know, I'm going to mm -hmm. develop it and this is what I want. Whereas mm -hmm. when you get to that higher level, you're always having to sell changes, your ideas. You know, you're in a constant pitch mode. It's show business. Yeah, it's business. I do a lot of pitch coaching and I think what people think about pitch coaching is, oh, I'm going to pitch my idea and I'm going to sell it and it's going to be great. When in reality, that happens, but you're pitching every moment of your life as a screenwriter, not only for yourself mm -hmm. for a job, but for mm -hmm. ideas you want in the movie. You're trying to, you know, have creative, you know, discussions with people who are all super smart. That's the thing in entertainment. Yeah. Obviously, there's some bad apples, but overall, most people you'll find super smart, super collaborative, really wanting to make great projects. But oftentimes that, you know, people have different ideas about elements and you have to learn how to balance that. Well, what is that balance? Do you find yourself trying to be a little bit more original or like just delivering what the market will sell? You know, the reason you get hired on that level is ideally for two reasons. One, the project you have or what you're trying to sell yourself, you have a completely original voice. Your idea is original. It's something we haven't seen. It, mm -hmm. you know, blows your mind. The other side is the the writers who work a lot and get hired. They know how to write a script. 
They know how to work well with producers, agents, and what have you. That's why you see so often, you know, when I was in college, I remember like, why? Look, this screenwriter, he did all these bad movies. How does she keep getting hired or he keep getting hired? <laughs> and, and one, you realize, it, you know, blaming a screenwriter, is it a smart move only because they might have the credit on the movie, but have very little input into the finished film. But at that same point, another reason for working for those who are able to work a lot is just people like working with them. They know that they're not crazy. They know that, you know, your producers, your decision makers can be, we can work with this person. She can deliver, you know, the script on time. She's not going to, you know, have a set piece inside that costs $20 million extra. <laughs> you know, what she's <laughs> telling you she's going to write mm -hmm is what she writes and what have you. And, you know, those are, I think, the keys to longevity right now is having a, a unique, strong voice as a writer and being able to play well with others. Mm -hmm. So are you, again, more of the now the independent feature route or do you, you know, still doing some studio writing or? Studio writing is extremely hard and sort of not so crushing, but just soul wearying, you know, <laughs> in that it's it's awesome to write work on these projects. It, it's great to work with great people, but the system is so vast that inherently you're usually not, you know, working on your own ideas and mm -hmm. you're completely removed from any kind of control in how the project is moving forward. Uh, for example, when you have a studio deal, you'll get so many weeks or months to finish a draft. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are usually hard. You have three months to finish it and you're expected to turn it in. Oftentimes you do that, you know, you're racing, you're sort of putting every effort of your entire being into this project. You send it off and then you don't hear back from them at all for six months, for eight months, for a year. Mm. And then it can be just, hey, we're going with another writer or we're going on a different project. Did they at least compensate you for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is all compensation. Yeah. I, but okay. it's, it's more of the sense of it's a certain type of person who can really succeed on the long term. For me, I, I loved doing it. I, I you know, I'm still open to doing it. I still mm -hmm. take offers. I, I still have worked on projects, but I've sort of split my own career now into when I write, I want to write the stuff that I love and am passionate about. Mm -hmm. As fun as studio screenwriting is, you're more often than not sort of molding other people's ideas and things that you might have fallen in love with with the project initially could be thrown out. The money's good. So that's, you know, the money's good. It's great to be working with so many of the kind of the top talent, whether it's actors, directors, what have you. It can wear you out because mm -hmm. I found on average for each job I got, it took about a year and a half to get that job. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's mm -hmm. a, a lot of like, hey, yeah, we love you. We're going to hire you. You don't hear for, for a year or someone's <laughs> fired or even on the pitching level. I remember I was pitching a, a project to a major studio. I was one of two for this big you know, rewrite. And then nothing ever happened with the project. You just never mm -hmm. heard back. So there's a lot of false starts. 
There's a mm-hmm. lot of sort of magical thinking that uh, a screenwriter has to do of like, okay, it's going to happen next week. So there's a lot of stuff out of your control. And, and for me, I, I like being in control of my life as much as possible. So <laughs> I've pivoted away from making my living on studio films, which was great while it lasted to, you know, working with producers that I love, working on projects that I love. I'll, I'll, I'll get them. But for the, the majority of my income, I, I've transitioned using into kind of development uh, consultations, which, you know, I, I tend to work with kind of a writing coach uh, with mm-hmm. screenwriters or as a kind of freelance development executive for a lot of independent producers. So I'm kind of getting mm-hmm. the best of all the world. Well, that's what I was about to ask you. If you had found kind of that middle paradise where you could do both. It is. It's important because, you know, to me, one of the essential ingredients in succeeding in Hollywood is understanding your skills and what you love to do. Because there's so much potential glamour in things that you might not be good, you know, that it's just like, it's fun to be like, hey, I'm writing a project for whoever. So it, it sometimes you can get slightly lost or astray from what am I really good at? And for me, it's like, I what I really loved was if I want to write something, I like looking at it as a sort of architecture, like a scientific project. I'm interested in writing things that do interesting things with structure or character or what have you. And so it's using that for my own writing. And then using everything else I know to sort of help others because I can do that a lot easier than I can do my own writing. Mm -hmm. In that same token, I also like working with other writers and producers because I can give the notes and, you know, they're great notes, but I don't have to go home and solve it. You don't actually have to (laughs) do it. (laughs) I know. So it's, it's, it's freeing in, in, in that way. Like I said, I I loved kind of being a full-time studio screenwriter for that time, but you know, I'm loving what I'm doing now even more because I, I I know what it is to be like in those big rooms when you're with the president of a studio or what have you. So I can, share that with my clients. And at the same time, I know so Mm -hmm. much better for my own writing, what I should be writing to sort of what can potentially be made. Yeah, 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 for sure. So like, technically, are you a freelancer then or like part of the Writers Guild? Oh, yeah, I'm part of the Writers Guild. So the Writers Guild works basically any all the major studios are signatories with the Writers Guild. That means if you're writing a project for Universal, for Amazon, for whomever, you have to join the Writers Guild. So as soon as I got the job with triplets, I got the packet and I Mm -hmm. I had to join. And that also means that if I'm working with producers who want to hire me for some of the indie stuff, they've had to join the Writers Guild to hire me. Okay, okay, okay. So like when you were working on these projects with like the bigger names attached Mm -hmm. or like were you approached independently, like through an agent, like through a company that you worked for? Getting a job writing is multifaceted. There isn't a clean, clear way to get it. I mean, in in the world of TV, once you break into it, there's a clear progression of you, you know, starting off oftentimes as a writer's assistant or what have you, then a staff writer, then a story editor, and, you know, on each show. In the world of features, there it's really open. I mean, one element is, you know, when you have an agent on one of the bigger ones, they often have booklets where they show the open writing assignments that you can say, hey, I want to go meet with 
this person to talk about that. But it's very mm-hmm. informal because there's there's not a kind of billboard where it's like, hey, Universal, write for this. <laughs> it's all word of mouth. It's, you know, even agents, mm-hmm. can their network is only as big as the people they know, too. So mm-hmm. there isn't a sort of unified hey, a new job, everyone in Hollywood goes to it. So much of it is about the relationships that you have built over time. So much of yep, it about is sense. asking, hearing, thinking about opportunities, mm-hmm. hearing someone saying, hey, you know, going out to lunch, hey, I have a, uh, you know, I have this script. I have, you know, I, I like, hey, can I read it? Maybe I could be, a re- you know, do a rewrite of it. And then mm-hmm. once you get those jobs and if you do them well, you tend then to have people come back. You know, and say, hey, Ryan, you know, I, you know, I've worked with uh, Joe and Nick Maganello on several projects. And that comes from I think we have a really good relationship as I was mm-hmm. hired for the first thing. And, it, you know, it, it, we had a good relationship. So they come they come back. So that's a lot of the work comes from that. And then obviously there's the the specking model where it's just you writing what you want to write and then hopefully sending it out to be sold. Mm -hmm. So I think you you had touched on this a little bit before with the whole, it's a business, you have to write stuff that sells. And I I was curious if there was kind of a middle ground that you had found with that as well. Like, is it possible to be a good writer with no inspiration? Like, for instance, I remember the songwriting book and it was talking about the difference between inspiration writers and craft writers and why the first album is always genius of some new band, but the second one is just crap because they only have a a year to write it and they don't know how to craft right. Like Mm -hmm. I could write about a dustpan if I wanted to and write a hit, you know, like that kind of thing. For your writing um, and for the consultations that you do, kind of that balance between inspiration and being able to write as a craft writer. Yeah. So that's a great question. One thing that is is the difference, and I have friends who are are, are great songwriters between screenwriting and and songwriting, is it's (laughs) a lot faster to write a song than a screen. Uh, You know, like on average, you'll be with a project, even if they don't do additional steps and hire you to do rewrites, probably for like a year, just in terms of doing the pitch meetings, getting hired, then Mm. writing whatever kind of outline, then getting to Mm -hmm. commence in the script. So it's a lot harder to like do that without being passionate about the subject I have found. Um, You know, obviously, I think where the dispassion could come from is if you get offered something, you know, if somebody's Mm -hmm. like, Tanya, can you please just do a a rewrite on this? We'll pay you a lot of money, you know, but where (laughs) it's if you're going after something, I I have found that it, it, you know, usually there's so much work that like. Unless you're really, you know, masochistic, you're not going to do a a, a lot of free work. Now, what I will say again, where that kind of the lack of inspiration can come from is, you know, you're in the middle of a project and what you love sort of is vanished. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. again, you know, if you pitched a road comedy about a dog and a cat driving and, you know, and they were like, we don't want a dog and a cat. We want a turtle and a rabbit and you really (laughs) love dogs and cats. It can be harder to keep going with things. But again, oftentimes on on the the studio level, those projects are so rare that Mm -hmm. the it's not usually about passion as the the drawbacks are usually much more about you just sort of have bad relationships 
whether okay. it's with the wrong type of producer, development executive, or a director. So did you have to learn how to develop that kind of creative boundary where, you you know, like it didn't break your heart to make it into a turtle and a rabbit, you know, or it was that a skill that you already <laughs> fantastically had? <laughs> I was lucky because my grandfather had a heart attack when he was 50 and he lived on a oh, farm wow. and the doctor said you needed exercise. And he built in the 60s three holes uh, for golf on the farm. And people in the area, I grew up in a rural area again, started to come and say, hey, can we play it? And so we started charging. And by the time I was born, it was an 18 hole public course. You know, it's yeah. not in any way snobby it was you know everybody <laughs> was, was there but instead of you know learning how to play golf i decided to do plays and movies on there with the the locals so i learned early on about criticism about you know taking notes about working with people my time at carnegie mellon only enhanced that mm -hmm. to where you know you were expected to when you looked at whatever you were doing if i was doing a short piece that i directed the feedback was honest up front i i remember that disney imagineers when they do uh tests for projects their first question is what didn't work. I'm open to that. And, and like I said, I, you know, when it comes to my own work, if I'm my own writing that I'm doing on spec, I tend to have a more specific idea of what it is. So there's less room for interpretation versus if you're working on a studio project and it's like, hey, let's do the Monopoly movie. But what is that? That's the thing. Oftentimes with certain studio projects, you're going in with a, a vague idea and you're trying to, as a screenwriter, fill in the story with different inputs from the producer and what have you. So yeah, yeah. it's a different process than this is my baby. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not again, it's like an architect. You know, they're mm -hmm. not thinking my building is my, you know, you're being hired to build something yes. for somebody else versus yeah something you're writing. And again, that's where screenwriting, I think, is a lot different even than novel writing, which mm -hmm. I think sometimes people compare it to. It's, it's a lot different in terms of how you use your mind. So it is... It it is about business. And so I was curious what that uh, what that balance was for you, how much you're able to exercise that creativity, but then also having to deal with the business side of your of your company, like dealing with finances and negotiating and that kind of stuff. I've always loved the business elements. I, you know, coming from a small business with the family, especially entertainment, you know, I read everything about the entertainment business. Like I said, and I sort of had a, a background in development. So mm -hmm. the business side was never foreign or scary to me. Okay. Okay. That's, that's not something a lot of artists can say. No, no. And, and, and I, and I think that's, it's helped me too, because the, the difference is uh, some deals I have to make as a writer, you tend to want the job so much you're willing to kind of first say, Hey, what I have found that I've had to do differently, especially as a writer is you want the job. So you want to be the nice guy. So you're mm -hmm. willing it for, sometimes you volunteer to give up things mm -hmm. because you, you want them to hire you. You're like, Hey, I'll do it even faster than you do, or, hey, I don't need that money. You know, and it's the reverse of being slowly and deliberate. I mean, you know, in the end, it, it comes down for negotiation. It's like dating, as they used to say, you know, you don't want to <laughs> like be show too much eagerness or people will be like, there's something weird with this person. And, and so you have to take it deliberate. And when you've been in the entertainment business long enough, your scar tissue allows you to realize 
you can be excited about some. I think the, the best advice is if a piece of good news happens, you know, if you hear, oh, Steven Spielberg is reading my script, enjoy it that day and then forget about it until you hear something following. Because there's so many times you'll be like, somebody like, hey, send me your script. I, I want to hire mm -hmm. you to write this or what have you. And, and you never hear back. So it's important yeah. to take the victories of, hey, even if this person is interested in you as a writer and mm -hmm. take that nugget, but don't spend your money, which I never have <laughs> learned the hard way, nor the money you think you're going to have or think that you have it until you hear a call, get a call from business or legal affairs from the studio. Mm. Once they start like <laughs> yeah. actually doing the contract. And that's also just a sidebar is one of the things that's interesting in Hollywood at least on the feature side, it's still business that like makes business on a handshake. So when they say you have the job, business affairs starts, that's when the negotiation starts and that can often take six months or more. Wow. 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 So how have things been lately? I mean, like it's been about three, four months since this COVID stuff ha happened. And of course, like writing can happen throughout this whole entire thing. I was curious if you've been doing more writing, more consulting, like how this these last few months have, have affected you. It's affected me in the way that a consulting business is based on writers, producers, people who want to work in the industry. And often what they're paying me is extra money. You know what I mean? Like money they have. So inherently an, econo an economic downturn, it's, you know, <laughs> or a, a great depression. Yeah. Is, it's harder yeah. to do that. But in the same way, the one advantage is, is entertainment is clearly going to come back in one form. Mm -hmm. It's already going mm -hmm. to shoot. So, and I think people who get in entertainment, who hire me as a consultant or writing coach are doing it out of a passion a long-term mm -hmm. passion. So mm -hmm. in other ways, you know, my, my business has been, has been steady because what we're doing now is basically what I do with my clients or it's on the phone, okay. it's reading, okay. it's calling people. And, and, and for the most part, Hollywood ha exists in that form. I'm working personally on a project and developing with the producer. I'm very excited about and then I, I'm kind of busier than ever with clients mm -hmm. because on the reverse, all of this downtime has made people, you know, or at least my clients want to write <laughs> well, a hey. lot more. Exactly. Yeah, hey, I can write. Yeah. I'm, I'm home alone. I might as well write. <laughs> the sort of the day to day of the business from my business, whether it's consulting or writing, hasn't really changed, you know, mm -hmm. and assuming everything's getting back where, you know, it looks like things are going to get start getting shot again and what have yeah. you. You know, yeah. I, I don't foresee it changing all that drastically in the mm -hmm. near future. I'm curious, what changes do you see with, uh, for instance, streaming, uh, the content wars, you know, there's potentially, I mean, it seems like there would be a lot more opportunity for writers. Is that something that you've you've observed? A hundred percent. It used to be the hardest thing to do was to create the content. 20 mm. years ago, 30 years ago, it was so hard to make a film that if you were able to make a film, there was a decent chance it would be distributed and somebody would see it, it would come out on DVD or VHS because the ancillary revenues were so high on those elements. Now mm -hmm. you can make a film, but the chances of it being released by a major distributor, what have you, are, are rare. It's reversed now where it used to be you would build towards content. Now content, I, I tend to see it as the first thing. You create your content and then you try to get the money for it 
or to, mm. to, to build your brand. So I think that is the big difference uh, of where the business is, that it's easier than ever to create content, to, to write something that's interesting and ha- probably even have it made. It's harder than ever to get someone to watch it. And that's where, you know, a place like a Netflix is so important because they are in the, you know, they want a mass of content. So if you get it onto a Netflix, you know, someone buying that, that's, uh, that's the victory. Is there something that writers should look out for when it comes to this kind of new process? It's just fast tracking what has already been there. What I, what I tell every writer, it's like, if you're going to write a script Pick the biggest high concept idea you have and make it in the lowest production values needed. So it's about the end of the world in a house, (laughs) a quiet place. Don't breathe. There's a lot of these movies that that's where it is. It's the Blumhouse model. And I think one of the reasons Blumhouse changed horror is Mm -hmm. horror before Blumhouse used to be chasing the leader, meaning Scream came out in 1996 that was followed by a five-year period of essentially versions of Scream. I know what you did last summer, urban legend, <laughs> what have you. Because yeah. people were chasing, and this is in general for across all genres, people were chasing that big title. Every producer the, the, the day after Scream was released was like, I want, let's develop our own Scream. What Blumhouse model did was taking the cost of making a horror film and the logistics and brought it down huge in scale, $5 million and below. And what that has allowed and what other companies has followed is real innovation in the content. That's Mm -hmm. why I think horror is particularly in its golden age, because it's no longer trying to like just make ripoffs of the popular thing. It's Mm -hmm. allowing finding unique, fresh voices from all across the spectrum. And like it's just like, hey, we'll give you this much money. You can do whatever, but don't breach that because they know if they can make it for five million, four million, three million, it basically guarantees a kind of profit. So that's the same with as a screenwriter in general, whether you're writing for TV or film, small stakes, but always be bold, be crazy. There is there isn't any more really that sense of nobody's going to make that like there used to be like, oh, that's out of style. Like every, like you can find anything being made now. It's amazing. Like yeah. every type yeah. of movie content <laughs> is being made. There's not something that people are like, no one's making it like it was 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> the key yeah. then is on the writer. It's like, instead of what it used to be, Scream was a hit, I'm going to write a Scream, write something that is unique to you. That because And that's going forward. The other thing about where we are, it's more and more writers need to be their own brand. You know, mm-hmm. as much as possible. And it's not just the screenwriting, but it's do you have or can you build a following on Twitter? Can you build something on Instagram? Are you what are you doing to kind of be known to be hired? I'm actually curious on that part. When you mentioned social media, that seem that seems to be a big thing in the indie in the indie world, which is like we'll we'll cast people or we will uh, hire people based on the amount of followers that they have. Is that important for a writer? I follow a lot of writers who have gotten their first TV writing jobs through Twitter, for example. Some of them were writing blogs. Some of them were writing for or some of them weren't. You know and. They get a Twitter following. You inherently connect with showrunners, what have you, and you're offered a job writing for television. So that's the difference now is there is no separation. You don't necessarily have to 
be a writer from day one or saying I want to be a writer and do what writers used to have to do, you know, if you can build up a, a presence online that has a unique voice. And that's where it's really about. It's your identity, your uniqueness, your your view of the world, your voice. And if you have something like that and it catches, you could very well be hired for a TV show or, or a project. Speaking of Twitter, we actually have some listener questions from our social medias. Uh, again, shameless uh, shameless plug. If you want to ask your questions to future guests, our handle on Insta and Twitter is Collab Inc. Podcast. We're going to jump right in. What are your views on packaging deals? Apparently, it was a big to-do with the Writers Guild last year and a bunch of writers fired their agents over it. What's your view? Just to back up, the idea with packaging for the last however many years, agencies would say, hey, if this project is created under our auspices, we're going to get potentially the directors, the actors, we're going to give it all to the studio so they don't have to make the hiring exchanges. And okay. in exchange, we'll pay the agency a fee. So it's that sort of fee is is the debate. And the mm. debate becomes, hey, agencies are supposed to be working for their clients, not for themselves. And mm. the argument is that money that the studio is giving in the agency, the packaging fee, would be better served paying more writers, paying support staff. So that, mm. you know, that's the core battle. In terms of the strategy, so last year the WGA said – the, the deal that they had signed with the, the group representing the agents was no longer valid. It was out of date. They needed to come to a new agreement. The agencies don't want to get rid of, of packaging, the major ones, because it's such mm -hmm. a huge amount of money. I mean, it's like kind of asking Amazon to stop prime delivery. Wow. Wow. Yeah. There's several sides to it, because if we were repped by any agency that did packaging – which are mm -hmm. the big, you know, four or five, the CAA, WME, UTA, ICM, which is where I was at. We had to officially kind of fire our agent. And wow. since so officially, you know, now there, there's some uh, agencies, Verve being among them, that have signed, have agreed not to do packaging. So some writers are going there. But for the most part, the, the major writers don't have agents. There's one side where especially it affects more TV than it really does movie writing. So on TV, one argument is, again, this money should be going back into the writers, really helping. There's another argument where sort of smaller early level writers are saying or middle class writers are like these packaging fees. It's really about already the successful writers arguing about money because they want the money. And it's not something that would necessarily help the younger writers and losing the agent, you know, and from me coming from more of the, the film focus background, I have, like I said, mixed feelings. I think that agencies should work for the clients. I, I think that it's something that to make them change would take painful steps. But I also, as a, a feature film writer, not being able to officially utilize your agent is hard for any type of wanting to pursue your writing. Now, the WGA has put some portals on their website that have helped in terms of getting writers connections out there. But, you know, it's a very traumatic fissure in how 
writers are hired. And, and the other thing I, I should note that upper level writers aren't affected as much because you might be have to fire your writing agent, which you did. But if you're a, a bigger writer who were repped by you have a producing agent, a directing agent, all those people, you don't mm-hmm. have to fire those people. So you could be whoever, J.J. Abrams, you know, or whoever <laughs> fired his writing agent but he's still rep. I think he's ripped by CAA or W. You know, he still has a directing yeah. agent. He's still connected. Yeah, he's still connected. Yeah. I have no idea how it will resolve itself. Wow, it is a such a different world. I'm so used to like, <laughs> I'm so used to the production side where you just show up for the day and that's it. Kind of thing. <laughs> I know the the development side is you know a lot of tense emails back and forth and <laughs> passive aggressive meetings. all right second question what's the best way to get a script you wrote on a major film producing platform if you can break into television as a sort of staff writer or whatever there's a very direct incline but it's a lot harder you know if you have no experience it's a lot harder if not nearly impossible to sell an original tv pilot you have to have the right attachments meaning Mm -hmm. You need to get a a potential showrunner, attachments, what have you. Feature film script is still open. It's still, if you write a great script and you can get it placed by somewhere, it doesn't matter who you are. What I would say is in terms of getting it there, you write your great script. There's several ways in. You know, contests, there's tons of contests out there, but there's probably about 10 that are kind of the top tier. The Nichols Fellowship being an example of that. If you win the Nichols or place highly, you will get attention, agent, what have you. Mm -hmm. Then there's the covered services like Script Arsenal, for example. And I used to run one when it was owned by The New York Times called Script Shark. And there, if your script is, is strong enough, they often have scouting services that will take it to agents, managers, producers. And, and again, instead of thinking, how do I get my script at Paramount or mm-hmm. Warner Brothers? I would think in steps. How do I get my script to either uh, a manager agent or a producer? Because that's the process, getting it to somebody who has a relationship somewhere who can then, you know, a relationship with an executive. Again, it's all about relationships. So if you're mm-hmm. an unknown quantity, your goal is to become known by somebody slightly mm-hmm. above you. So it's a yeah. producer, a manager, agent, and that person who yeah. they know they like this script, then they can push it up to the next level. Yeah. So how much or how possible is it to do research on finding those particular agents? Because it's all niche, you know, so it's just like, okay, uh, I didn't write a horror script, but I I wrote a drama. So how do I know if this agent does more dramas or horrors, you know, that kind of thing? Is it even possible? The agent question is a big one. My advice is don't worry about agents because agents are interested in you if you're making money and you can make them money. I, it's just, I mean, agents are great, but th- yeah. they're they're not the ones who are, especially in writing, who are going to like cultivate and develop your career. That's much more aligned with a manager. And mm-hmm. managers are still open 
some to open submissions, solicitations, what have you. Then there's also producers, you know, because there's a ton of producers out there who are who are open to reading scripts and what have you. But what I would say, you know, for someone breaking in, focus on your project, what you're writing, your brand as a writer, and then focus on your networking. And what I say, when I mean by networking, you know, it's not, hey, I'm going to go to every event and meet every person. It's an email. <laughs> Let it be organic. Look who are in your own circle. Build it out from people. If you're in production, who you've worked with, who you like, and eventually that, you know, you might meet someone in production that you get along with and, and they'll be like, hey, I, you know, my sister-in-law is an executive at Netflix or she's <laughs> yeah. a man. You know, and it's building organically. And it's also the understanding of so much of success in Hollywood is just sticking around because things take a long time. If you, Tanya, wanted to be a professional screenwriter, I, I would say you have to give yourself five to seven years of okay. starting today, of if you had yeah. any, of like to hopefully break in because that's in it sometimes happens a lot faster, sometimes slower, but that's mm -hmm. the kind of the nature to build up these things. And there's so many false starts and also getting your writing excellent, because one of the things people love to say is the best compliment you can get in Hollywood about your script is say, someone saying it's a movie. Because you, you might get notes about the structure, character, but it's a movie yeah. is something that you can't quite pinpoint, but it just feels like you can see it in reading. It's something for me who've read thousands of screenplays, I can yeah. just tell sometimes. It's like there's a, it, the way it flows, the way you don't stop, the way it's mm. a sort of simple. Each scene is about one thing and there's such a clarity. You're like, this is a movie. And that's a hard thing because a lot of that is is technique. And it like for any vocation to kind of master technique takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Is there something that you look for? I, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned one, like each scene is about one thing. But for instance, if you were looking at a novice screenplay, is there some small little detail as in like they used a dash instead of a period? You're like, this kid's got it. I don't know. Is there something that something small that kind of tips you off to the fact that, hey, there's something special about this person or they pay attention to detail or they have what it takes to make it. They have what it takes to make it's a little harder just because what you find in Hollywood, there's so many talented people and so much mm -hmm. of making it is just blind luck. Being yeah. in the right place at the right time, yeah. happening, yeah. you know. So and so there's so many people who could easily slip in and out with super successful people and you wouldn't know the difference just because, <laughs> yeah. you know, somebody had the right opportunities. In terms of a screenplay, I, I've read them long enough screenplays where I can be fairly certain whether it's if it's ready to go in any sense or close to it in the first five pages, maybe the first one, you know, the movie part is you have to read the whole thing, but it's even yeah. the, like to start thinking if it could be, if it's in the first five pages, and this is the same with almost every other screenwriter, screenplay reader I know, you you know by the first page, just by how it looks, how it sounds. It's the same, I'm sure, if you were a record producer, if somebody played their tape in the first 30 seconds, you hear a song, you, you, you understand they have, or they're at the level of their ability. And that's the thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's never, it's a, with screenwriting, it's not about, are you this? Are you, you know, great? It's, you're always working to become better. And, mm -hmm. and so, it, you know, it's fine. It's about if, to your question, 
it's more about I can read in that first page, first five page, and see okay, they're clearly ready for a professional career, mm. or gotcha. you know, they themselves need more time to work on their technique and what have you. Because usually, almost all the screenplays I've ever read, for the most part, the ideas are solid. There's mm-hmm. very few I've ever read them like, oh, that's a, that, a terrible idea. It would never make a movie. But yeah. the, the challenge is so much about the technique and how, you know, knowing how to construct a screenplay. Mm-hmm. The next question is, what are those different companies looking for in a script and what are they more or less likely to buy and produce? So each company's individual. You know what I mean? Each studio is looking for based on their own needs, because it could be that sometimes a a studio has just had a hit romantic comedy and Hey, we want another one like that. You know, especially Mm -hmm. if you think about Netflix, how they work, where, you know, they put these movies out and then, you know, people who like this, you'll like this. So, so it's, it's an individual choice. If I, like I said, if there's to be advice to, Hey, I want to write a screenplay and I, I want my best chances of getting it made slash sold. Write it at lo- as low a budget as possible with as big of idea as possible. And that's because everyone is looking for that. And that's only increased with COVID and everything. Everybody wants that. And in terms of genre, the horror thriller genre is mm. forever kind of evergreen at that level. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. One of the last questions. It's fairly random. <laughs> I love random questions. <laughs> How do you like your eggs? Uh, burnt. <laughs> I do. I, I, I like them scrambled and burnt, dark. I like the dark black. <laughs> That's amazing. I, well, I, I think I would prefer that over the runny ones. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't do running. <laughs> or if it's like sunny side up, I like to cut out the yolk has to be cut out and it burnt as well. So. Oh, burnt. interesting. And I also like um, omelets. So my egg, that's that's my egg choice. And devil's egg. I love devil's eggs, too. So those are my top egg choices. <laughs> so what question should I have asked you? Something I realized a lot and it kind of through my own career up and downs is I, I wish I had known the questions to ask up front in the process. Because I tend to think that the more I'm in it, screenwriting is a process of solving things up front and knowing what to solve up front. For example, I'm a big believer that there's no point in writing your screenplay now unless you figured out clearly what your protagonist's want is. And I learned that by experience where I, you know, I used to sort of write scripts and I had no problem writing plot and plot and plot and plot. And incident, but a lot of those scripts, I, I, I just didn't know what it meant to have a protagonist with a clear want. And because a, a protagonist with a clear want also means they have a clear point of view. And that protagonist's point of view is also essential to the style of what you're writing. For example, mm-hmm. I made this mistake a long time ago. I was writing a horror script and why isn't it working? It was like, I had a good idea, but I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. What I realized is I had my characters respond to the horror that was going on with sarcasm and humor. Instead, they needed to be scared. Because if you're writing a horror script, your, your protagonist needs to be scared or your audience won't. So that's just one example. You know, it's a deeper conversation, but I, I tend to think that a lot of general screenplay 
discussion doesn't sort of focus on that this stuff up front where I would say to a, a new client or somebody who's getting into screenplay it's like before you write your screenplay before you like outlines it's just focus on the protagonist want build it out from there mm-hmm. and and that same point I, I think that the idea that to be a screenwriter or a writer about the discipline writing every day. I think writing every day is a great thing, but it's also, it's an element of training. When you get Mm. to a certain point, writing every day can be detrimental. There's times where you would be better off instead of spending the day with final draft open and writing to just think about where things are going, to think about Mm. your concept In, in general, sort of like, it's okay that some days you'll be better served not just writing pages blankly, but actually thinking about a character issue or thinking mm-hmm. about what happens. And so I tend to think that the more thinking and sort of really answering questions about character and plot up front, you know, I, I guess it's my my process is like the writing, the screenplay, I push it further and further towards the end. Mm. Interesting. So if you could make a bullet point list of those kinds of questions that you wish that you would have known to ask, what would those be? It would be, what is the the protagonist's want? Mm-hmm. Another big one is, what is what I call the narrative engine of the story? Meaning, say you're writing a horror film. Again, there's different types of horror films. One is sort of the Agatha Christie, and then there were none model. Meaning, mm-hmm. if you're writing, you know, it's, oh, we have a set group of characters at a house at something and we're watching them get killed off one after another that Mm. by that narrative engine that would inherently mean your big act breaks your big moments in your script you probably Mm. want a death in that same token the narrative engine of romantic comedy the big act breaks what have you you want them to be around the relationship a a big problem in a lot of the writing i see is people have an idea Mm. They start writing it, but they don't think about, hey, this narrative engine, what I am writing and how should what I'm writing be connected to the, the genre that I'm writing. Yeah. Yeah. Got you. Well, thank you so much for the time that you've uh, taken out of your day to uh, enlighten us with all of your, your knowledge. Now we really appreciate everything that you've been able to teach. I love the fact that you are, I don't know, like you have a passion for education just like we do. So I don't know. You guys are awesome. You guys are (laughs) awesome. I can't speak highly enough about collab. Well, we are going to have you back for the next one. I can't wait. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this interview, follow us right here and check out more episodes at media.collabinc.org, as well as fill out that feedback survey for a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card. Ryan, thanks so much again for your time. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on There to Hear.